what is going on military cash flow family what's going on today with you mike what's up man i'm chilling i'm sweating in here i don't know what's going on with the ac but the back of my kneecaps is sweaty bro it is not comfortable the back of the kneecaps man. The back, the back of the kneecaps, kneecaps. <laughs> just getting wet no it's all good man uh, i'm chilling man um you know we're rocking and rolling on the loan side of the house and i just recently joined the tiktok man oh yeah I, the dance moves man. you can hey, if you like guys haven't checked moves. out our tiktok or mike's tiktok you know, I'm he's getting to... in there. Yeah, he's getting there giving the dance moves, man. He's giving away all the moves. He's about to put on a uh, like a tutorial, man. So I might have to. I might have to. No, nah, man, but everybody's been telling me to get on it for the, for the longest. So I'm late to the game, uh, but I'm just having fun with it. Trying to drop, obviously, value like we always do on all the platforms, you know, um, and then just trying to put a little entertainment in there. So y'all follow me on TikTok. Show me some love. But besides that, man, I've been taking it day by day. How's everything going with you? Everything's good, man. Um, just... Uh hanging out with the family, doing the same old, same old. Uh, we did, uh, I, I did actually just get back from uh, Flip Hacking Live last week. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was a great, great time. It was put on by um, the Seven Figure Flippers, Bill Allen and his crew. Uh, mm-hmm. So we got a bunch of great guests that are about to come on um, from that, that I met from that event, right? It was, it was a great time, man. We talk about networking all the time and how important that is and going to these conferences and going to meet new people and, you know, learning about real estate, right? Just learning about real estate. You guys talk about, I mean, just the army profession in in, in general or, or any military profession, right? You always got to, you always want to be learning and studying. The same thing with this, right? I mean, treat it like a profession and, you know, that's what you're going to get out of it, right? So uh, you go and you get those education, you go and you do that networking and stuff and you get a lot out of it in return. So learn so much stuff. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I'm jumping back into wholesaling. You guys probably saw the video that just went out. It's round two for me. Um, I was up in Fort Drum last time. Didn't really work out that great because I was PCSing and went over went overseas and stuff. But now I'm back at it. Really excited about it. Um, I used a lot of what we learned from that event uh, to implement into this new, uh, the, this time going in, right? Um, we just hired our, we just hired two assistants. So uh, we have two people on board. They're going to be helping us out, growing the, uh, growing the business. And I don't know, I'm really, really, really excited to get rock and rolling. So, yeah, man, that event looked amazing. And I'm surprised, I'm not really surprised, but just uh, kind of shocked at how many uh, people who attended were actually in the service. Their yeah, service. Was, oh my right? gosh, it's, man. It's, it's about ridiculous. If I had to guess, it was probably about, you know, one third of one third of that room was probably service members like when. So if you guys don't know, uh, we've had David Perret on the stage yep. from Military to Millionaire. We've had Adam Whitney um, yep. um, from uh, on, on our podcast twice. Actually, both of them were actually speakers at that event. Yep. Right. So uh, when they got up, like you, they say, hey, shout out to the military members. And for those who don't know, also the person that owns a seven figure uh, flipping yep. company, Bill Allen, he's also uh, in the military as well. So um when when they got up and they said shout out to the military like freaking it seemed like half the daggone room stood up right so it was really really quick really really great met a lot of our old guests uh yep uh bob sleeves was there we had marcus uh long, marcus, marcus long, long was there johnny linham was there who else alex uh, felice yep alex felice was there obviously dave yep. Perret, adam whitney yep. um who else was there? I'm, I'm probably forgetting somebody. If it I did, was quite a few, man. Yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was a great turnout. It was about 700 people there. I'd say about a third of them were military. It seemed like at least, or some, somewhat military affiliated. So, 
um yeah it was it was a great 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 event had a great time i'm definitely going to be making uh my way out there next year um i went to a couple of different conferences man but that one looked amazing so yeah man so for all the military folks looking to get out there and start obviously we always talk about networking we always talk about networking that might be a great entry level event um because as you start to experiment with some like bigger pockets i didn't go this year but bigger pockets is a little pricey i will admit right so you may not want to just have that one be your first one although it'd be a good event you may want to shop around a little bit that might be the one for you guys uh the seven figure flippers uh, uh house was it house hacking flip, high? Hacking. flip hacking yeah flip flip hacking. Hacking live. yeah awesome so man. It's good stuff good stuff but um you know, speaking of the the uh, great people that I met and the great new people that we met, right? Today, we got a great guest that we just met, you know. Um, we, we linked up with him through uh, social media, right? Um, his name is Joseph Danza, right? So um, great guy, he's a chaplain in the army. army. Right? So he works for the Navy, but he's a yep. chaplain in the army. So it's a really yep. weird concept. You'll hear about it when we get to the video, but um, he talks, I mean, three words, three uh, one phrase you'll get, you'll hear constantly throughout this is uh, cash flow is king, right? Yep. Um, and with that, I mean, what, what you got, Mike? Yeah, man, this is, so for everybody, I mean, who, whoever wants multiple millions of dollars worth of real estate across multiple states, he talks about how he did it in, you know, 13 years. Now, some of you, that may seem like a long time. Some of you realize how short that really is. Think about 10 years ago, where the hell were you? That is gone like that, right? The biggest thing that he talks about and he, and he continues to hit is the clarity that he has. And I know I hit on it a lot too, because it's just so impressive because I personally feel that pain. You know what I mean? I've tried it all. I've tried a lot of things with not having clarity and easily getting distracted and knowing, I say this often and Dan, you know, called me out on it. If I could go back, I can make the same amount of money that my entire portfolio makes with like five to 10 Airbnbs. Believe me, I, and I know that sounds kind of misconstrued, but it, it's true the way that these Airbnbs are cash on and if I was strategic with it. Well, he's super strategic, 100% owner of all these properties, guys. That's damn near unheard of, right? So this is going to be a, uh, a nugget-filled episode. Obviously, I can't do it any justice. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, how's it going? This is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glaspie. And this is the Military Cash Flow Podcast where we teach service members how to build wealth and create passive cash flow through real estate. We cover real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned from other successful investors. Now, whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast, we need you to like, share, and subscribe. Now let's get started creating this military cash flow. What's going on, military cash flow family? Today, we have Joseph Danza in the house with us today. Um, really appreciate you coming on, Joseph. Uh, please let us know a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you're doing. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm the owner of Simplified Real Estate Investments. Um, so we are a East Coast company that we span all, all along the East Coast. We focus on four pillars. Uh, we, we really focus on cash flow. Um, so we do long-term rentals, short-term rentals, we do property management, and now we're jumping into the multifamily space. Uh, and so while I'm not, while I'm doing all of that, um, I'm also still working my nine to five job. I work for the Navy full time and I'm also in the reserves uh, as an army chaplain. Wait a minute. Well, wait, you said you work, your full time job is the Navy. And then you said you work as an 
army reservists. Explain that, please. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and somehow I managed to juggle it all with my teams. But uh, so during the day, I'm a program manager and I, I run uh, some of the Navy's IT systems that we've got um, across the, the enterprise. And then on the weekends and the evenings, I'm an army chaplain uh, taking care of families uh, across the East Coast. Now I got it. Okay, now that makes sense. <laughs> how, how do you rock both uniforms? But it makes sense. So tell us a little bit about your background. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like you have a lot of knowledge in the real estate world, but did you always start off knowing that you wanted to invest in real estate? Or what was that background as a, as a child, I guess, getting into this field? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So um, I've been doing this since I was a kid. Um, my parents, uh, they were in the army. My dad was in the army and then uh, he retired and he jumped into real estate. And, and so, you know, I kind of uh, got a flavor of it, watching what they did, uh, going and helping, showing apartments, um, you know, taking care of their properties. Uh, you know, I got a little taste of everything. Um, and, you know, I didn't have a real interest when I was younger. Uh, but uh, I think I was around, I'd say maybe 18, 19 years old. I, I started to get the bug for it. And then I finally took the plunge when I, I was in college and I bought my first property. Uh, my parents were my first investors. Uh, and, and so we jumped in. We bought this house in 2008. Uh, the market kind of, uh, you know, got a little shaky there. Um, and, and so, you know, we pulled through. So it, it's been, been quite the experience. And, you know, my portfolio has only grown. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what I mean, understanding that when parents are doing something in front of us, a lot of times one of two things are going to happen. Either we're going to latch on and we're going to become addicted with it, you know, right along with them, or we're going to kind of rebel. And it sounded like in the beginning phases, you kind of rebelled. What, what was that like? Uh, you said you didn't find interest until 18 or 19. Yeah. So when you were walking those properties as a child, were you just kind of just following your parents along or were you actually tasked? certain duties or whatever the case is oh yeah I, I was tasked with certain duties there was like if you live in this household you're gonna you're gonna do certain things and uh, you have to be showing apartments and taking care of those apartments uh, that's what put uh, you know food on the table you know i absolutely love that man so you were exposed to this at a young age man that's oh, yeah. and that, that's that's pretty uncommon right um, what I love about that so much is because that's what we all kind of aspire to be, right? At least I have kids, man. I want my kids in that exact same position, right? A lot of the things that I'm doing right now, um, I'm trying to position myself to put my children in the same position uh, yeah. that you're in, right? I, I think I just think that's awesome. And a lot of us, uh, sometimes we don't really think about how much of an effect, like the little things that you do as a parent uh, influences your children, right? So now you are a second generation uh, real estate investor, and I'm sure your children or, or your whoever you have with you is you know going to learn the same thing, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think you know my parents were so influential in this, and I mean I remember even as a kid they would bring us to the conferences. Like we would go, and it was like our family nice. vacation slash real estate conference, and uh, and it all worked out. And you know I'm just really glad that you know I, I finally. I guess, got smarter after working a nine to five, realizing that, you know, it's it's not all that it's cracked up to be. <laughs> Shout out to mom and dad. Yo, I hope they're watching this so I can give them a, you know, clap round of applause to you. <laughs> Shout out to you guys. So, so you, what, what, okay. sorry, just what, what was the, what was the, the, the pivotal point for you that uh, clicked at 18 or 19? What was like that one little thing where you said, you know what, forget the nine to five, it's real estate for me. Yeah, it, I think it was just, you know, working for people, you know, it, it's hard working for people and taking direction and orders. I mean, it's, it's even hard in the military too, but yeah. 
I, I think it's just, uh, you know, you wake up one day and you realize, you know, you can do it. And, and, uh, and you know, I had, I had that push and that support from my parents and, and, you know, we took a plunge and I'm still here. I'm still swimming. And <laughs> so, excellent. Love it. Excellent. So well, let's talk, walk us through like your first, uh, your first, you know, dip into real estate. You said you bought that first, um, I'm not sure what type of deal it was, yeah. but you bought that first deal in college. What was your mind like, I mean, to be in college and actually be already forward thinking like, hey, I need to buy an investment property. Can you walk us through that a little bit where your thoughts were and then also how it went for you? Yeah, um, you know, I, I had been watching, you know, my parents for a long time. And then, you know, this is when uh, like HGTV kind of took off as well with all the flipping shows. And, and so, you know, I didn't want to do what my parents did with the, uh, you know, the, the apartments. I wanted to go flip because that's what everybody was doing. And that was, you know, I didn't have all that forward thinking, you know, it was just kind of impulse decisions. And, and you know, I learned very quickly when, you know, we jumped in and, you know, the market, you know, tanked basically. And uh, so, you know, we were renovating the property. I learned all about contractors, who not to hire, who not to hire. I mean, you know, the, the timeline that was only supposed to have been 60 days ended up being, you know, nine months. We were over schedule. Uh, you know, the cost overruns were ridiculous. And all I could think of was I've got to sell this property as the market tanked. And, you know, we, we put it up on the market to try to flip it. And, you know, it just didn't work. You know, the market was softening, nothing was selling. And, you know, and I had to pivot at some point and it didn't hit me. It, you know, it was really when my back was up against the wall, you know, did I consider renting out the property? And, and you know, this was a single family, you, you know, house that, uh, you know, we had purchased and, you know, it was a very inexpensive property. It was like $45,000. You know, I was just proud at the time that, you know, I was able to go get a loan for the property. You know, I scraped up everything that I had been saving for my summer jobs and, and you know, I went and purchased it. And then I, you know, I ran those credit cards up to, to, <laughs> to make all those renovations happen. And, you know, I mean, there's just so many things I look back now, like I would never do that that way. Uh, it's just like all those lessons learned and, and, you know, and I get to share that story over and over with folks that I meet. You, know, you got to give us a, a couple, just give us a couple of those uh, lessons learned. Yeah, um, I, I think really it's having those multiple exit strategies. You know, yes. when I went into this, it was flipping. And that was the only thing that I thought of. And instead, I should have been thinking, you know, flipping, renting, what else can I do to the property? Now you can do like a burr, or you could do, you know, you could do like an Airbnb house hacking. I mean, there's so many ways to do it today that I just wasn't thinking about you know, 13 years ago when I started this and, you know, it would have made life so much easier if I had known that. Um, and then I think another lesson learned is just making sure you have the right contractors in place, right? It was just, it was just painful, painful, painful trying to get through, you know, renovation. And then on top of it, you know, the people I hired, they were much older than me. And, and so it's like, let's take you for a ride. And, yeah. but, you know, I had my parents there, you know, who kind of guided me through the process, but still going through all those hurdles, you know, it was just difficult um, to, to get through that. Um, you said those contractors could smell fear, huh? They could smell the, the, the wet behind the ears. <laughs> but so this was your, this was your first deal, right? Yeah, that was my first deal. All right. So everybody listening, rewind that bad boy, because this was his first deal. Most people would hear that and they would cower down. They say, oh, real estate is too hard. It's not for me. I can't do this. Nobody makes money. But instead, you got very creative and you pushed forward. So what was it 
that made you decide, even after that deal, you made it work. What made you decide to keep going with real estate? So the, the thing that really helped was once the property was stabilized and once it was cash flowing. So, you know, I got renters in there eventually. I mean, you know, and, and I think that's what people forget too. Like the markets are going up and up and the rents continue to go up and up. But when there's a downturn in the market, excess inventory rents will go down and the property still has to cash flow regardless of how much you paid for. And because it still cash flowed, I was able to go to the bank. I was able to refinance. I pulled out all of my investment, paid everything off. I still had money left over. And then I had the returns that were coming in every single month, my monthly cash flow. So it was like infinite returns. And then the light bulb clicked. It was like, I can do this. I can do more of these, even though it was very, very painful, you know, the first go around. And, and, and so, you know, and I went back and I took that money that I got from that property and I reinvested it into the next property. And, and so it's just been kind of, you know, I, I call it my infinite returns um, that I started out with. This is the it. way. Yes, it really is. <laughs> and, and this, this breaks it down to a, I, I love what, I love what you're saying because, you know, no matter how bad it gets, as long as you take a, take a step back and look at it objectively, just look at the numbers. How is it performing? Ultimately, you saw that no matter how much pain that you went through, you were still able to get an infinite return, essentially get yeah. all of your money back out. And, and that's, the, that's the name of the game, guys. We only invest in real estate for that long-term wealth. So as long as the numbers make sense, let's party. So that's I love true. that. And you kept moving forward. Now, did your, did your strategy change completely at that point in time? Did you still focus on flips? Have you ever focused on flips? Or did you just say, from now on, I'm going for cash flow? It changed everything. And so now I just focus on cash flow. You know, when I, I go out there and I'm looking at properties today, whether the big apartment complexes or, you know, the, the vacation rentals, cash flow is king. And, and that's the only way I go about it because equity is here today and it can be gone tomorrow. You know, we watched that in 2008 where, you know, a property that my first one, because the ARV on that was about $150,000. And when it, when the market crashed, it was worth about $80,000. I mean, it wasn't very much, but I was able to pull everything out. I was very lucky at that time um, because it was just a low entry cost. And, and so that's why we just focus on cash flow because cash flow is what keeps any deal alive. And I love that you keep hitting on that. Like we focus on cash flow. Even when you opened up, I meant to, to touch on that. As soon as you opened up, you're like, hey, I'm a cash flow investor. I focus on cash flow. Not too many investors come on and say specifically that. Like it, it's usually I focus on a specific niche within real estate. So I either focus on apartment complexes or I focus on Airbnb or I focus on long-term holds or mobile home park or storage unit or whatever the asset type is. You're like, Yo, screw an asset type. I'm focused on cash flow. <laughs> so I, I, re I really appreciate that. So yeah. what, so we talked about like the, the thing that made that, that switch to, um, I guess, switch from, uh, kind of switch from flipping onto cash flow, but what made you switch between other asset types, right? Cause we, you know, as focusing on cash flow, you can work within a bunch of different asset types. So what made that change for you? I think it's just diversification, right? I, I believe diversification in all ways, in all directions. Uh, you know, I, I've applied that in all areas of my life and it works in, in my business as well. It's, you know, I, I saw um, like 2000, uh, 2020, you know, everybody talks about COVID, you know, depending on who you talk to, they'll tell you that that was a disruption in the real estate 
cycle and it reset the real estate cycle, depending on who you talk to, right? And, and so for me, it was a wake-up call. I, I watched my entire company that has been just generating cash flow constantly, constantly. And, you know, it's watching it come to a halt, basically, as, as moratoriums went into place, as, as people could not travel. And so then that's when I kind of realized, I'm like, I have to have multiple streams of income. And so from 2020 on, this, we've been focused on more diversification, more strong, you know, assets where there, there's a lot more cash flow, a lot more margins to make sure that, you know, the bank accounts are going to be there when, when the cash flow stops, if it stops. And, 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 you know, that's what's, you know, kept this business going all this time is, is really the cash flow and these different assets, looking at the vacation rental space. I mean, the returns are amazing, but they're very volatile. And um, if you look at the, uh, the property management side that we do, I, you know, it's really great. You know, I don't own the asset. I take care of the asset, but I take a commission off it and it reduces the level of risk. And so it allows the, the portfolio to balance out, not only from a cash flow perspective, but also from a risk perspective. When you carry so much debt, you're, you're risky to you know, a bank, to uh, other investors, depending on you know, what they're looking for. And, and so this just allows us to you know, level out the portfolio. Um, and, and just like the big apartment complexes that we're jumping into, it just allows for more cash flow, more diversification. Uh, you know, we're going back to the basics again. You know, the, the vacation rental spaces are like, they're nice to have, but the, you know, the apartment complexes, you got to live somewhere, right? And they're just on a larger scale and they're just a little bit more easier to manage because there's a big property management company that handles a lot of it. All right, let's take a quick break. I hope you're enjoying this awesome episode. If this episode has got you pumped up and you're looking for more ways to learn, network, and take action, make sure you go over to www.militarycashflow.com where we're doing our absolute best to provide our military community with tons of value. Here's just a few things you'll find when you go to militarycashflow.com. You'll find our books. You'll find the Military Cashflow Facebook group where we have thousands of new and experienced military investors networking and asking and answering questions. You'll find our military cash flow real estate investing course that teaches you everything you need to know to buy a cash flowing producing asset. We teach you how to find the deal, how to analyze, how to renovate, how to build your team and maintain that property. You'll find our one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. And when you're ready to start taking action and invest, or you're looking just to PCS, we'll even vet and find an investor and military-friendly realtor in your area at zero cost to you. So make sure you head over to www.militarycashflow.com to get access to all these great tools. And lastly, and I would almost say most importantly, make sure you share this information with another military member that might find it valuable. And with that said, let's get back into this episode. So I love this because you, you're talking about a journey that you went through as an investor, starting off fairly small, right, with that single family, and then gradually growing over time. I mean, there's so much here we, we can unpack, but you've hit on one thing consistently. You keep talking about leveling out the portfolio, making sure your debt level is fairly low, diversification. So this is a, a question I have that might be... Um, little bit left field, but what is your general rule of thumb as far as keeping your loan to value at what percentage across the portfolio? So I'm all about leverage. I'm not about paying down the mortgages. I'm about, you know, as little cash I can put into the property. So I typically stick to that 70, 75% loan to value. 
Um, and, and there's not a rush to pay down the mortgages. Maybe the primary residents, I'm, I'm focused on paying it down a little bit more, but the rest of them, all I'm focused on is putting as, as little cash into the property as possible, making the improvements, doing the forced depreciation, uh, you know, which is like really the renovations on the property, getting the value up, refinancing, pulling that money out, and then redeploying it to another, another project. And so that's kind of where we stick around that 70 to 75% loan to value. That's perfect. Uh, for those for those listening, um, the loan to value for the portfolio that you guys may or may not be familiar with, it's essentially how much debt is on the property towards the value. And the general loan amount for most properties, most investment properties will be around that 75 to 80. So you're just saying right around that 70, 75, especially on the apartment complex, that's pretty normal. And so when you're looking at cash flow, then are you measuring that based on a cash flow? Uh, dollar amount or a cash on cash return percentage? Just curious. Um, so we'll, it depends on the asset class. So like the vacation rental space, we're looking at cash on cash. Um, how, how soon can we get, pull that cash out? The apartment complexes, uh, you know, we're looking at, at, you know, cash on cash again, but we're also looking at IRR, all those metrics to kind of make sure that the, the money is hard at work and, uh, and that we get it back as soon as possible. I love it. I love it. It's all about knowing your metrics. And, and I think Absolutely. you speak, um, you know, uh, uh, mountains to that because you're showing that you can pick almost any asset out of a bunch of them, as yeah. long as you understand your metrics and what it is that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I really like what I really like is um, a lot of people think, you know, you cannot diversify within real estate itself, right? Most people are like, oh, well, I don't want all my, my assets in real estate. I want, you know, 30% real estate, 30% stocks, and yep. I don't know, 30% bonds, right? Well, yeah. you can diversify your entire, if you would like to, right? You can diversify yourself from any kind of market correction just within real estate alone. We talked okay. about the different asset classes, right? Would you mind going over some of the different asset classes that you're investing in and then what that would look um, if there was a market correction for, for kind of each of them, just to kind of give an idea of how you can diversify and how you can protect yourself from any market correction by, you know, using different asset classes. Yeah, absolutely. So really the, the two asset classes that we touch are residential and, and then the commercial multifamily space. Uh, so the, you know, the residential, you know, those are the single family homes, the triplexes, the duplexes, uh, the vacation rental spaces. And so, you know, in, in that market correction that we're, you know, we're always planning for that. And, and, you know, one of those things is we always make sure we have enough in reserves, but really it's just making sure that the property cash flows. It always has to cash flow um, in any market correction. And that's making sure that I'm buying at the right prices um, and that the, you know, the projected rent you know, can, can uh, you know, basically withstand a market correction. And, and we're also anticipating a pullback on those rents as well. And so when we, when we underwrite these properties, it's making sure that, you know, we can take a, a 10, 20, 30% haircut on this and we're still cash flowing. You know, right now, everything that we're doing, it's cream on the crop. It's great. You know, we love it. Um, and, and, you know, even the vacation rental space, you know, we're making sure, you know, if, if the, if the vacation rental space crashes, if Airbnb, Verbo, for some reason, go away, or there's restrictions put in place, we're making sure that those properties can flow as a long-term rental. So yes. we don't have to sell the property out. We are making sure that those properties underwrite correctly when we purchase. Um, and a lot of people aren't doing that right now. They're just paying seven, $800,000. So I'm like, I don't know how that's yeah. going to cash flow if you can't, if the ordinances in the town change. Um, but that, you know, that's my personal risk, uh, you know, 
that I'm willing to take. The multifamily space, you know, it, it's just making sure that, you know, we're buying right, right? You know, you cannot go and pay four or five million dollars over price for, you know, some of these properties. You've got to make sure that NOI and the, the cash flow makes sense. And you've got to also stress test the property to make sure that, again, you can take that 20, 30, 40% haircut and still float it. Because I think what we're noticing is everybody's paying these absorbent prices in the market right now. And I'm going to be very interested to watch what happens in the next couple of years. Can these, you know, a large apartment complexes, these, you know, vacation rentals, can they take a, hair, a haircut and still be okay? And, and I think no. That, that's an excellent, uh, an excellent topic, right? And I think that also that speaks to all the investors that are buying at what, like ninety five percent, almost one hundred percent loan to value, or whatever, whatever they're they're buying at those high percentage rates, right? Those high LTVs, right? Um, but I think you're you're one hundred percent correct. They're definitely not going to be able to uh, to keep up with anything unless. The, the cat, especially the cash flow, we talked about, you know, just appreciation here today, gone tomorrow, you know, but if you're, if you're focused on the cash flow, right. And, and just like you said, you can take 10 to 20% off and still be cash flowing, right. You'll be all right because in the long term you can hold and the appreciation will eventually catch up. Right. So um, I, I think that's an awesome, awesome point, especially for those that are using the BA loan to buy maybe duplexes or triplexes. Right. I, I am starting to see that a little bit. And, and I've talked to some people about that. They're, you know, buying with 0% down, which is okay. I understand that. Yeah. But if it's barely cash flowing, yeah, you might be in a bad position. Right. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a perfect point. Absolutely. You have to be really careful. I had someone talk to me about one of the houses they wanted to buy. It was like a negative cash flow, $1,500. And I'm like, do, do not do it. This is yeah. not worth it. The appreciation is not worth it. What you will pay every year and all the expenses, because there will be a lot of expenses that go with that property and the negative uh, cash flow, it will it will catch up to you. When it's Just by a thousand paper cuts. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, mentioned, you mentioned something uh, when you said that you stress test them for your risk level. And I think that that was a statement that was, may have been overlooked by some of the audience members. Uh, it's extremely important, again, for everybody to have their criteria because I think I love real estate. I really do. I'm, I'm all in. But I think the, the misconception, I've said this before, is that a lot of wealthy people put their money into real estate to hedge against taxes, whereas many of us are putting our money into real estate to grow our wealth. So we're coming from, from a different approach. So these wealthy individuals can absolutely buy a negative cash flow on property. Why? Because they need to protect themselves from money. So you can't look at Blackstone or, yeah. or all these other people and be like, oh, well, they're doing it. So I can do it. Not. You need to be able to stress test it, understand your metrics and go back to understanding what is really important for you and make sure that property can do it. With the Airbnbs, we say the same thing. Obviously, we're, we're, we do loans and we represent you on the realtor side. We'll sell you a $600,000 house, <laughs> but make sure it makes sense for you and you yeah. know it can work as a long term. I love that strategy. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important. I, I think people forget that everybody's situation is different. Yeah. They just focus about what everybody else is doing instead of focusing on your objectives. And you just have to start small and, and you start with one property. And I think a lot of folks just, they just focus on the wrong stuff when they're looking at properties instead of uh, the long-term objectives. Personal finance is personal. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So let me ask you this. Now you've scaled pretty quickly and now you're all across the East Coast. 
what does your team actually look like? They are all over the place. And, and, um, and you know, we hire um, based off drive and, and uh, integrity. I mean, like, can we trust you? Those are the, the two requirements. Everything else, we can teach you. You know, real estate is not hard. Um, I can't teach trust and I can't teach, uh, you know, a drive. Those are the two things that I can't teach. So that's what I, I, I really look for when I, I hire folks. Um, and I've got a lot of great property managers. I've got a lot of great assistants that keep everything, you know, organized for me because I am not organized. <laughs> I feel you, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they make the wheels uh, go round and round for us. And so it, it, I, I've just been really lucky to find some really good people, you know, network with others. And, and, you know, I got a lot of great referrals from like people like, you should hire this person, you should consider them. And they've turned out to be my rock stars and they just keep the bus rolling, which is amazing. How many, how many, yeah, sorry. Uh, I was gonna say, how many assistants would you say you have? Like property managers aside, cause I know most of the time those are third party or outside of the organization. But as far as assistants or people kind of within your, within your company, how many would you say you have roughly? I have about three today. Okay. Yeah. So that, that goes to show everybody with essentially a four man team. Yeah. You guys can own millions of dollars across yeah. multiple states too. That's freaking <laughs> amazing. <laughs> you can take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, so what markets are you primarily focused on or are you focused on any market? Are you just kind of, again, chasing the actual cash flow itself? Um, so we're really in the Sunbelt states uh, and, and we're really focused on any market that's uh, landlord friendly, right? So, you know, some properties are in New York that I have. I mean, people Ooh, right now- that's definitely not landlord It's not landlord friendly, <laughs> but, you know, I bought cheap and, and make cash flow and, uh, yep. you know, there's pains and headaches that come with it. But then some properties are, you know, in the Sunbelt, North Carolina, South Carolina, and they do really well and they're landlord friendly, but you know, it's just making sure that the portfolio again is diversified and, and it's just, uh, you know, it's really the sunbelts and, and it's just making sure landlord friendly because, you know, markets change and you, you're here when you invest, you're here for the long run and you've got to be able to write everything out. Let's talk about that for a second. Landlord friendly states. I mean, we talk about Sunbelt. I know Georgia, Alabama, Florida. Yeah. Um, I don't know about Mississippi, but I know those three states for sure are landlord friendly states. Yeah. Um, with that said, why is that so important? Can you give us a like, just give us an idea of what it looks oh, yeah. like if you're, <laughs> if you're working in a non landlord friendly state and you're working yeah. in a landlord friendly state? Yeah, a great example. So I own property in New York, right? And, you know, bought them cheap, great cash flow properties during COVID. You know, Thankfully, my tenants, you know, all paid on time, but they were given the option of not paying utilities. And so the way New York is, they build the landlord if your tenants don't pay it. And so while I collected rent, I also had to pay the utilities that I normally don't pay. And, and I could not evict any of my tenants during that time. And, and so, you know, now the moratorium's over, so things are better and, you know, people are, are, are paying, you know, everything, but... That's the difference right there. It's being stuck with certain bills that you typically wouldn't get stuck with or not being able to evict people from in an apartment. There, there were times where I wanted to evict some of my tenants, you know, during COVID. But um, like in North Carolina, it's easier to evict. You know, Texas, Florida, it's easier to evict because they are landlord friendly states uh, where we have a little bit more rights. And we're not That's even talking point. about 
we're not even talking about during COVID too, because even yeah. outside of COVID, just the oh, length yeah. of time that it takes oh, yeah. to evict a they, tenant, right? Like I'll, in Alabama, you can literally get it done in three weeks, man. Like I'm talking about, they, they're moving, right? Yeah, but in yeah. some states like New York, I think, well, you got to, you actually got to serve them an actual summons and yeah. like, you, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it and it can yeah. take a, a long time from my understanding. Absolutely. And, and they have the right to appeal as well. <laughs> We ain't got time for that. Yeah, North Carolina, even during COVID, we were still successfully evicting people, yeah. even with the eviction moratorium. Um, so that, that's a really great point. And it just, so, again, shows the, the level of, of detail you went into as far as searching the markets and all the other good stuff, because understanding exactly which markets you're going to look into, and then even further, probably identifying the sub-markets within those markets, mm -hmm. That, that allows you to move quickly when a deal kind of crosses your lap, right? So now yeah. you can move quicker by through underwriting and deal analysis. You can put in offer faster. And sometimes speed kills, guys. Like sometimes just the, being the first person with a, with a decent offer will get you the deal. It doesn't have to be the highest price. So that's just another powerful uh, uh, strategy as far as growing your portfolio. 100% on that. Um, so, so what's next? What, what are we getting into right now? And I know you talked about syndication a little bit. Um, where are you at in the Where are you in that part of your journey? And then, like, yeah. what what are you working on now? Yeah, so I, I'm jump. I, I've done some deals passively. We're jumping into actively. We've got some partners. Um, you know, I've got some really smart guys working with me, and, uh, and and so it's just very competitive right now. And you know, we're actively looking. We'll find something. We've got you know quite a few investors who are interested in participating. It's a great way to hedge. You know, the inflation and the taxes. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're networking and we're learning a lot of great things along the way. And, um, and then, you know, it's just continued to expand the, you know, the portfolio, you know, it's everything has worked up until today. And, and so I, you know, it, it's not always about building the big empire that most people like to think it, it's about the cash flow that really matters at the end of the day. And, you know, we, I, I give the guys who, who do a lot of multifamily syndication a hard time because you know, my portfolio might be smaller than theirs, maybe not as high, you know, net worth or, you know, value, but I own a hundred percent of my company. I own a hundred percent and I don't have to have shares. I don't have to, you know, give anybody anything else out of the pie. It is all mine. And, uh, and, and with the syndication, you have to share a little bit. Uh, I mean, that's how you're able to go out and buy these big properties. I mean, there's great benefits in it and that's why we're jumping into it, but we're also making sure we stick to the grassroots of how we started out and just continue to pick the right properties to add to the portfolio that will just continue to grow the cash flow because that's at the end of the day, cash flow is king and that's what's going to keep this business rolling. I love, love it. That. It's I think, not I think the size of the boat. Is what I heard. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's yeah. the motion of the ocean. Yeah, hey, but, <laughs> but I think I think uh, you you mentioned that a couple of times too, Mike. That same thing. Like, yeah. hey, you know, if I could probably do it all, all over again, if, yep. if I had the choice, man, I could probably do five or six Airbnbs and yep. you know be cash flowing, you know, be cash flowing a, a very great amount and, it, and a lot a lot less stress as well, right? So um, it's all about the cash flow, man. Cash flow is king. Yeah, but I mean, I live a, we all live a life of hindsight being 2020, a lot of lessons learned along the way. I'm sure we're going to touch on some of the things that you would have done differently for sure. But under you having such a clear picture and understanding that cash flow was your number one goal, it allows you to move forward with just such a clear vision of where the company's going, the type of assets you need, the type of business partners you need. And that alone 
probably, correct me if I'm wrong, relieves so much stress when it comes to decision-making along the way, because you can quickly say no to the other 99 things that may cross your lap. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's so easy to get distracted by the next shiny object yes. that you've got to remember to stick and focus on the core of your goals or the core functions of your company. And, and just by you know, knowing what we're good at and what works well, you know, allows us to focus, to laser focus in where we're building relationships with brokers, we're building relationships with, with property managers, you know, across the country. It's, you know, understanding like what we're good at. And, and then at the same time, knowing what we're not good at. And so then we're able to build partnerships with other folks who are good at those things that we're not good at and, and that hold the same core values. You know, one of my partners that I have, he's just really good with being out there in front of people and, uh, and I'm not one of those types of folks that like to be out there in front of everybody. And, and, and so he's good at that. And, uh, and he does really well with it. I like to sit there and analyze the numbers and drive myself crazy until I get the underwriting just right. <laughs> and You're a chaplain. What do you mean you don't like being in front of people? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, that's cool. I, I got you. So uh, Mike talks a lot about that trifecta, right? Um, you want to touch on that, Mike? The yeah, the, of a, what the, you need for a deal. Absolutely. Uh, basically, I call it the, the uh, real estate triangle. You either have the money or a need for money, experience, or the deal itself. And so typically, you're going to need all three to make a deal happen. So you need to identify where your weakness is at what apex. Um, and you're talking about, obviously, you have decent experience, but now you're partnering with people who you said are very smart. Maybe they have different attributes that you don't have or different experiences that you don't have. Uh, find, you know, partnering with people who can get you the deal, right? And, and then being able to scale. And I love everything about this because this shows a very uh, uh, smooth progression that group, okay, let me ask you this, I'm sorry. When was your, so how long have you been real estate investing? It's been about 13 years, correct? Yeah, about 13 okay. years. 13 years and now you're across multiple states with multiple million dollars worth of real estate, 100% owned. And many people think that it takes a lifetime to acquire that. But because you had such clear vision, guys, I'm telling you, this is, this is, this is going to be the quote all over everything in this episode is <laughs> just about how clear and concise you are about everything you wanted. Uh, I, I just can't speak on that enough. It's, it's extremely yeah. important. It's very important. How did you get so clear? I'm, I'm curious. How did you get so clear? Did, did your, you know, your experience growing up in the real estate world, did, did that help shape that or how you know, where does your clarity come from? I, I think it came through, you know, trial and error, right? So not everything has been perfect. You know, everybody thinks my business has like transformed over the last couple of years where we're super successful and it hasn't been the case. There were a lot of years where we struggled, many years where we struggled and it was making those mistakes. And then through making those mistakes, you know, we took action basically and, and you know, mistakes were made and then you learn from those mistakes. And then that's how you kind of refine. But, you know, at the same time, I'm pulling in all the smart people to help me figure it out as I go through it. And that's how I became a little bit more focused. And, you know, and in the grand scheme of things, you know, we're still all figuring it out. Every company continues yeah. to morph and change. And, you know, just because we're here today in 10 years, we're going to probably our focus and, and our lens will probably change again. Cash flow will always probably be the primary pillar that we focus on. But, you know, the assets, how we get there, it's probably going to change as a market change because everything changes. Do you have a business plan? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's rough. It, it's not, yeah. you know, 
it's like you know on a napkin and yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, no, no, I, I really have a business plan but um you know it, it's what we share with the, the lenders we share with yeah. our investors it, it's it's really a tool that we use to kind of explain you know where we're headed because when somebody comes to you and they ask to help with investing advice or you know i've got a million dollars for you to invest in they need yeah. to have confidence that exactly. they know what you're doing with their money and and, and so that business plan that um you know, just kind of reinforces where we're headed, what we're going to do, what we will do with that money, how we will get your money back. All that's very, very important to outline in a business plan. Absolutely. Business plan is three words. Cash flow is king. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm telling this is everybody's homework assignment. I want everybody to pause and write this down as a task to do this weekend or this week is to create a business plan because I see that most people don't do it. Now, now don't get it twisted. If you just plan on getting five properties in your lifetime and then maybe that's it, maybe you don't need a business plan, but the clarity that you will get, I mean, just look how Joseph is just, he's, this is what our business does. These are the markets. This is our strategy. This is what we look for when hiring a team member. All of that's in a business plan, guys. I guarantee it. I know it because I have a business plan too. And that's exactly the stuff that, that we cover. When you guys sit down and take the time to write out a business plan, your entire path will seem like. Uh, the, the, the yellow brick road. It's going to be all laid out. And then to your point about adapting, I, I love this uh, analogy is like IBM. Most people think of IBM as a software company. Well, in reality, today it's a consulting company and that might actually be outdated. They might be doing something else. But the only reason they existed is because they adapted and they were, they were flexible with the times. And that's exactly what Joe was talking about. Yeah. yeah, today, always cash flow. That's the baseline. That's the pillar but single family may not exist 10 years from now. Maybe yeah. notes, maybe doing some note investing. You don't know. Yeah. We're going to have to have you back on if you went to that field. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. So everybody do a business plan, man. Yeah, they're, they're worth it. I, it. It's painful. You won't know where to start. You'll do many, uh, yeah. you know, many do, uh, revisions of it and, and it'll still look bad, but it grows with you as your company morphs. And, and, you know, I look, I was finding some of my old files today. I'm like, it looked really bad back then. And now it's like, it's actually, we look pretty legit now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's just, you watch how you morph and it, it's a great way to just to like that retrospect of how much you've grown and where you've started from. It, it's, it's very easy to forget where you started from. Um, and, and, and so like having some of that stuff just is a great reminder. Definitely. That's actually my favorite part. I carry my little business plan or my, my goals list and stuff with me in a little sheet right here at all times. But like, it's cool. I think I'm on version 10 right now, yeah. but you go back and you see version one and what it looked like and like, you know, how you surpass that, especially as if you've been tracking it for a while, how you surpass it and how, you know, some of those plans kind of may have looked, you know, you look at them now and you're like, man, I can't believe that's all I wanted. You know what I mean? Or that's all yeah. I aspired to, to, to go after. So um, it's kind of cool. And I imagine you're going to share those with your kids and things like that. So at least okay. I plan to do that. I, I think it's a really, really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you had, we're going to start wrapping it up just a little bit here. Right. If you had one piece of advice, and, and I, I love your experience, it's not just military specific, you have a lot of experience. So if you had one piece of advice for somebody just now starting their real estate journey, what would that be? I'd say, uh, don't let yourself stop yourself from starting. Um, you know, I, I think we all get self-conscious um, to a degree where we don't think we're able to, we're smart enough, 
where we have enough uh, energy to keep going as we're juggling so many different things in our lives. Um, you just have to keep going and you've got to figure out how you're going to make it a priority. Um, if this is something that you want to do in real estate, you know, and you want to be an active investor, then you've got to make it a priority. Uh, and, and it's just knowing about, you know, where you're at in life. Uh, and, and so that's why I always say, don't let yourself stop yourself from moving forward. You know, there were times where business was not good, right? And, and there were times where I allowed myself to stop moving forward. And, and so that's why I always say, you know, keep going, move in the right direction. And, and don't let the limitation, don't limit yourself uh, from moving forward. Excellent. Excellent. So how can we reach out to you? How can our listeners um, hear from me and find out about you? Yeah, they can reach me. Um, so we're on uh, simplifiedrei.com. Uh, you can send me an email um, at joseph at simplifiedrei.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you know, I'm the only Joe Danza out there. Um, and with a headshot and all that good stuff, um, or on Instagram, uh, and we're on LinkedIn as well. So same headshot. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Hey, well, it's been a pleasure. Um, loved what you brought, you know, the, the amount of value you brought here. I'm sure everyone listening is going to have to listen to this a couple of times just to, to get some of those, uh, those, those nuggets, man. It's been great. Excellent conversation. Thank you for having me. This was great. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, comment, leave a comment below. I'm sure uh, Joe will get in the comments and uh, answer your questions. If you have any questions directed at him, right? Um, if you on Facebook, make sure you join our Facebook group. If you listen to this on podcast, do us a favor, leave us a, a review, an honest review. We appreciate those. We actually do read those. It's awesome. Um, and with that, this is Dan Wynn. And Mike Glassby. Signing off.